Hi, this is Mark. Hello, this is Matt. And welcome to our podcast, Lessons from the Field, where we talk with staff members from the Austin Independent School District about teaching and learning in our community. Our discussions focus on various education topics and how they impact and empower teachers and students. Welcome back to another episode. We are in season two, Matt. Can you believe that? I cannot believe that, Mark. We had an incredibly successful season one. I am so looking forward to seeing what season two brings us as we start a brand new school year. This is really exciting. Yes, absolutely. And the school year is going to be ever changing. So for these first few episodes, as we've mentioned, is we're, we're bringing in folks from the Austin Independent School District Central Office and engaging them in some conversations. And to Today, we have representatives from our academics office. So I'm going to ask Amy and Jessica and Danielle, if you wouldn't mind introducing yourselves real quick and just your role in the district. I guess, Amy, if, if we can start with you, please. Hi, everybody. Uh, this is Amy Cortez Castillo. I am the director for early childhood in Austin ISD, and our department uh, supports pre-K three to second grade. And Jessica? Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Jessica Jolliffe. I'm the assistant director of humanities, and I'm proud to support teachers and students. Um, in grades three through 12 for language arts and social studies. And Danielle. Hey everyone, I'm Danielle Perico. I'm the assistant director of STEM and I support uh, grades three through 12 for science and math. Awesome. Well, thank you all again. And we're going to dive in. Um, as we talked about, there's no real rhyme or order to this. Just feel free to engage as you wish. But so if you could start, our teachers are now teaching virtually right now in a distance environment to different degrees. They're maybe on campuses. They may not be. As of right now, the intent is for teachers to, you know, and students possibly to report in October. So I'm wondering in a K-12 perspective, what are some of the projects, what's some of the work that you guys are involved in right now to help support teaching, to help support learning in the district and what that might look like? One of the things that we're working on right now that I'm really excited about are the three C PLCs. The C's in the PLCs stand for Community Connection and Collaboration. And we did just a trial run of these right before the start of the school year, the week before students came back. And it was really fun to see teachers working in small groups to share different ways that they had uh, personalized the blend blueprints to meet the needs of students in their classrooms. And, and so really 3C PLCs are set up to help educators have a space to meet on a regular basis where they can share their expertise and also engage in some collaborative problem solving around pressing issues that are facing them. And so the week before school, the pressing issue was what to do with the blend blueprints and how to customize them for students. And we're going to continue these through the fall and hopefully into the spring as well, um, just to provide teachers with that space. And so that's one thing that we've put in place to support teachers continually throughout the year. Yeah, I would agree that the three PLCs is really exciting work that we're doing right now. We had teachers be able to share their blend courses with each other. And from a, a district perspective, you know, it was more than just your teachers on your team, but they got to see what other teachers and other campuses were doing with their blend courses and ask questions. Uh, we had, you know, some people actually, you know, learning how to do like a Bitmoji classroom uh, because some of them didn't know, you know, where that resource was. And so they were able to share those kinds of resources with each other. And then they were also able to ask questions about specifics around the blend course or 
where to find um, different resources and supports within the course. It was really great to have teachers come together across the district in that way. And I was going to add to that. It was just really nice to see the teachers help each other build capacity, kind of like what you said, Amy, with the Bitmoji classrooms and just learning different things that um, to help each other and support each other in their classrooms. Um, and also to say, I know both of you mentioned about the blend courses. Our, our teams, as well as teachers, have helped build blend courses that are just district-wide for courses K through 12. Um, and we started that work by identifying essential teaks over the summer to really help guide teachers and help them know where they need to put most of their efforts into teaching, knowing that it looks a little bit different virtually. And our courses, our teachers can customize those. So we really wanted to give them a baseline to start with and then give teachers the opportunity to customize those courses to meet the needs of their kids. From what I'm hearing, it sounds like there's a lot of collaborative effort put into everything that y'all are doing, whether it's, you know, from your academic lens versus, you know, having teachers input. And so I'm wondering, how has that kind of evolved over the first few weeks of school? Like, how has that impacted not only what you're doing within your own department, but like, what have y'all been able to kind of take away from what y'all have seen so far with this whole implementation piece? Yeah, um, I, this is Amy again. So I would um, say that across the board, this whole last six months has been really collaboration has been the, a key word, you know, in all of what we've been doing in terms of working across departments, working with teachers on the campuses, you know, any kind of, you know, situation in our current context, this kind of almost like a crisis situation requires us to all come together and collaborate together so that we can um, be creative together, be innovative together, and really think about how we're going to solve the problems in front of us. So it's been um, I would say an AISD team effort in all of this work. Um, we've had support from all of the departments in the academics team, as well as our teachers on campuses. We've been able to provide professional learning and have teachers support the work as well so that it's meaningful um, and something that they can use in their classrooms because, you know, they've been involved in the creation of this work. So yes, it's been a very collaborative effort um, across the board. I think too, right, it's put a lens on on looking at those who are most affected by the work that we're doing, right? And, and that's really putting ourselves in the shoes of what it's like to be a teacher as an end user in the blend course and what it's like to be a student who's receiving instruction. And one of the things that we've really worked on week to week with the modules is how to improve the teacher usability and then also how to improve that student experience. And so what we've seen is going from something that's very much focused on the content work that the team is doing with the teachers and how that's evolved and kind of spread out as more people are using the blend modules. I mean, they're pushed to everybody. So as people see them, you you get more teams who want to be involved in terms of how can a special ed support staff have access to the blueprints? How can teachers and special education teachers work together? How can dual language and ESL teachers work together? At secondary, how can we use what we've made in the dual language blueprints to support students who aren't enrolled in a dual language program, but who are beginning to learn um, English for the first time? And then also really building our team's capacity and teacher 
teacher capacity with blend and digital and online tools. Everyone is being put into a position where we're all learners, right? And we're all teachers learning from each other about what programs work, learning from communication with parents and with students about how to streamline instruction and directions. So every week, I feel like our circle of collaboration gets a little bit wider. And every week we're learning new things that really inform and transform what our students experience. Thank you. And that's incredible work. And I'm very glad that you all have taken into consideration. And I really like the way that, Jessica, you put that students and the teachers from that learner perspective, right? And sometimes I, I think that when we build something, especially to the scale of these blend courses, I mean, it's almost, I'll say, not not impossible, but it's real close to consider like every single scenario, right? And so I really liked how you framed that thinking about putting yourself as a designer in the shoes of the learner. And so I think that's really, I mean, it's something that's vital. It's something that I think can help really drive and and almost push, you know, the curriculum pieces or whatever it is that you need to go into these courses and make it, you know, somewhat of a a seamless integration. So I I appreciate you sharing that insight. Yeah, I I agree wholeheartedly. I mean, the work that you guys have put together, it's impressive. It it really is impressive. I would imagine, though, that it wasn't always easy. (laughs) And so I'm kind of wondering, you know, if you think back to when we decided to write our own curriculum and where we are right now, what were some of the challenges that you encountered? And what did you learn from these challenges moving forward to help guide the work now that our students are back in the classrooms? And and how is that going to impact decision making and different things like that? One thing that we learned, just accessibility and depending on what programs we were using within Blend look different, especially when using Blueprint courses. And we found that really specific directions were really helpful. So we made teacher pages where we told teachers exactly this is what you need to customize or change to make it more accessible for students when they're in there. Um, Also learning from the parent view and all three of us us or parents knowing so many challenges. If you have young kids, even older kids knowing how to use the programs, what to do. So putting really specific instructions in there as well, even just for the students to know, click here, click back to go to this next spot. That was one of the challenges when we first built. If you're real familiar with Blend or Canvas, you know it comes naturally to you, but really having to look through that lens of thinking of students that have never used it. And now parents are going to be looking and trying to help their students in a virtual setting. Um, So it was really eye-opening and from our first draft to then knowing we needed to put more details in there to make sure we're supporting everyone. Yeah, and I was going to add just from the early childhood perspective and, you know, the way that um, young children learn, we wanted to make one of the challenges that we faced was making sure that we honored the development of children and their needs of young children. Um, And so to make it as, you know, make a blueprint course that was as hands-on as possible. Um, And so what we, uh, you know, in thinking about the design of that from the learner perspective, perspective, um, you know, what would be the most, the, the best way to engage in, you know, that synchronous time, the asynchronous digital time, and then the asynchronous hands-on time. So we sort of had to think about all three of those ways of engagement um, in the development of the course. Um, so um, fortunately, we as a district um, had made the decision in the spring to um, to utilize Seesaw for schools. And so embedding that within our blend course um, as the main function 
of um, engagement for students, um, I think was really helpful to keep it at the, you know, the developmentally appropriate level that we wanted for young children. And, um, and also the other challenge we faced was, you know, a lot of the early childhood work is, you know, hands-on play based. Um, and so how did we communicate that out in a blend course that was a digital platform? Um, and so what we were able to do is kind of make a choice board for families. So we had specific activities in there that are the seesaw activities that we want children to engage in um, each day. And then there are choices on the choice board for other activities that families can engage in with their young children. Um, so those were sort of the big challenges overall in the early from the early childhood perspective. Um, and uh, I think, you know, we, our team was very thoughtful in thinking through that. And I think we have um, a very high quality, um, you know, as like I say, as, as developmentally appropriate as we can in this current environment that we're in um, and really supporting families to support their learning of their young children. And just to kind of piggyback on some of the things that I'm that I'm hearing from Danielle and Amy, I mean, certainly, you know, the, the clarity of direction and ease of navigation through the modules is super important for our students and our families. But then also thinking about that student engagement piece. I mean, one of the things that my team has spent a lot of time on is trying to provide opportunities for students to be able to collaborate and connect with each other um, in the modules because, because students are isolated from one another. Um, and so how do you provide students with that opportunity to work together in groups? How do you provide clear directions so that a Zoom breakout or a Google Doc um, really functions as an opportunity for students to practice that communication with each other and that collaboration with each other and have it be a really meaningful experience? And then also that student feedback piece, right? How will students know that they're learning the content, that they're mastering the content? Um, that's one of the real strengths of Blend is it provides the opportunity for that instant feedback through quizzes and discussions, but it's helping students know what those next steps are. Um, and that's why I think something like what we provide in early childhood, right? The, the playlists are so important because it does allow students and parents to work together to make some decisions around now that I've mastered this content or if I'm struggling with this piece of content, what's the next step? What can, what choices can I make about the playlist? Um, what choices can I make about additional options that are available to me to ensure that I'm mastering the standards or that I'm, if, if I'm ready to move on to the next thing, I can do that as well. And that's, that's a huge challenge, even in a non-digital environment, right? But um, in our blended environment, we really wanted to make sure that students have that connection piece, but also the opportunity for feedback and next steps. And Jessica, to add on to that, the teams and a team of teachers also helped create a library of videos that we have been incorporating into our um, blueprint courses, as well as just available for teachers to use as they customize their courses. And that we took our essential teaks and then teachers helped. I know our teams helped, but put together videos and play pause it so that they can be viewed asynchronously. And then there are built-in formative checks along the way of those videos. So that's another way to support our students, especially if they have to go back and review something after a teacher has done their asynchronous lesson. So this is, oh, sorry, go ahead, Mark. Oh, I was just going to say, kind of going back, Danielle, what you initially said, going back to the, the lens of the user and the learner, it, it ties back to what was said in that first question about thinking about that end user. And to me, we're re-examining how we teach because if, you know we're used to making assumptions and we're realizing those assumptions cannot be made. We need to be very, very explicit and considerate 
of that. I, just, I find that fascinating. And in our current environment, that this is where we're re-examining teaching. Yeah, no, that's a great point, Mark. And, you know, as, as I'm hearing y'all speak, and, you know, it, it is challenging to figure out, you know, Amy, like you said, I mean, essentially, you know, a, a pre-K student or a kindergarten student, you know, how are you going to be able to engage them when there's so much teacher directedness, I guess, in the classroom? It's like, how do you take that and transform it or be able to tweak it in an online environment to, for it to still have that same impact? I just you know, it, it, it is a question, right, of, of how, how do you do that? And so I, I know with, and I've seen these courses, and they're just incredible, um, you know, resources and things like that, that y'all have embedded. And it almost makes me wonder, so what, in your opinion, and we can go back around or however we want to do this, but in your opinion, like, what is, what do you think has worked really well in, in taking essentially this curriculum and bringing it into the, the classroom um, in, in your particular areas? I think whenever we can, ways to engage the students, so figuring out like discussion boards, um, any way that you can get them to share share their thinking, I think really helps with that. Um, also for math particularly, we put together a document that has, because we use manipulatives a lot, well in this setting, there's virtual manipulatives, but it's still not the same as having that hands-on, like, like Amy was talking about with early childhood. So we put together a document and we have this for early childhood and three through five of manipulatives that would be similar to what they would have in the classroom, but things they can just find around the house um, and trying to just encourage um, students to use and as much hands-on as they can, um, but really just building in discussions and just getting kids engaged in talking, I think um, has been really, really important during this virtual setting. One of the things that we've tried to do um, in language arts and, and social studies is, is really thinking about um, what resources are available for students to look at and read and think about that go beyond just the, the textbook? And then what activities can you ask students to engage in to show their learning beyond just like taking notes and writing an essay or writing a paragraph, right? And and so I'm I'm really pleased uh, when, when I go through the blueprints, right, and kind of see even the work from my own seventh grader where students are, you know, social media directors for the state of Texas, right? So they're, they're putting themselves in a problem-based learning type environment. They're creating tweets about Texas regions. So they're they're engaging in some really fun activities. Um, and then in, in language arts, they have the opportunity with the variety of, of digital reading resources that we have available to us, both district purchased and just free on the web. Um, the ability for students to read not only different genres, but really to be able to dive deeply into having choices with different authors, um, different kinds of texts, different kinds of stories. And it really helps students personalize their own learning experience because they can they can focus on a skill like summarization, for example, but they can do that by choosing a text that's really meaningful to them. And I think that keeps them more engaged in the process and allows them to have some some deeper, richer, more relevant conversations with others. And um, I would have to agree with with that um, about student choice and voice in, in this work um, that that's kind of um, one of the 
you know, the, the shining stars of, of this work is that students are able to, you know, have options for how they show their learning. So even in, um, so that's, you know, in blend, all of the things that Jessica talked about, and also for the early childhood um, students in Seesaw, you know, there are lots of different options for them to be able to choose so they can, you know, take a picture of, of their work, they can go and, you know, like an activity that we might do in an early childhood classroom is to, you know, kind of read the room, go around the room and find things that start with a certain letter or, you know, connect their learning in that way. And they're able to do that with the seesaw, with the iPads to go around maybe their house or their neighborhood and take pictures of those kinds of things and, and show that as documentation of their learning um, or, you know, draw a picture. There's a, a way for them to draw a picture on, on seesaw. So there's a variety of choices and how they sh- demonstrate their learning. And I think that that is, um, makes it fun and engaging for students to be able to, to learn those things. And um, as, a, as a parent of an, an eighth grader, I'm also seeing that like the, um, the, the amount of learning that I see my child doing and being able to, you know, choose which ways she submits her work. Um, and I, you know, it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, and I've just been kind of blown away by what she can do on the, on the computer and, and what she's able to submit on her own, you know, without support. So it's, it's, um, that that's the exciting part is right and 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 i you know and i we may talk about this but you know bringing that back into the the classroom when we return i think is going to be the really exciting kind of turning point for some of our educators to incorporate these strategies that they've been learning in the remote setting and how do we bring that back in when we return to face to face learning uh, to really support student engagement um so that we can get um you know students to that level of mastery yeah and thank you for sharing that amy and you you got me excited i was like whoa what ipads i get to go around my neighborhood and take pictures that's awesome um so yeah i really do um thank y'all for for sharing all that entire perspective and and kind of what that looks like appreciate it and and i like too how that whole focus the district has on equity where we want different students to be able to demonstrate their knowledge in their own ways It, it shouldn't be the way we tell them to demonstrate knowledge there's just wonderful opportunities out there for them to be able to do that in this in this new way, which actually kind of leads me to a question that wasn't on the script, but kind of you kind of alluded to it, Amy, is um, what do you envision classes to look like if we return to in-person or maybe not classes, that's the wrong word. What, what do we imagine school to look like based on what we've learned and different things moving forward? What what do you see in a year, two years, five years? It's funny that you asked that, Mark. I was talking to my son who's a 10th grader, you know, and he's, he's you know, he's doing really, you know, he's able to, you know, kind of direct himself and get everything done and, and for the most part. So I asked him, you know, what are there classes that you would uh, want to take remotely if you had the option um, and, you know, he kind of listed them out. And, and so that was an interesting conversation to have with him. Um, so, you know, um, from the early childhood perspective for students, I think, you know, you know, we know that the students in our youngest learners being in school um, is is probably is the best place for them, you know, from our perspective um, to be able to engage, you know, just with the kind of physicality of, of young learners and, and what their needs are in terms of what Danielle was talking about with manipulatives and, and, and us as a schoolhouse being able to bring that equity to the to the space and um so you know but i but i can see that this synchronous asynchronous you know design work that we're thinking about that is the classroom setting you know if we think about it and i think that was kind of a new learning that we've all kind of thought about is what is and when you're in the classroom um before covid hit and we were in this context what was synchronous and what was asynchronous and then and how were you providing choice and voice in your classroom for students to engage um so that for the young learners i think is something that we can 
bring along with us in terms of improving our instruction um, and improving the ways in which we uh, we give students a uh, choice to engage in the learning. I think, you know, we can say in, in pre-K and K, we've, we've worked hard to do that for many, many years with our center time and our and our choices, but, I, you know, we can always learn from this experience and get better. And I, and I think that we're also finding where the space is for technology in the classroom. You know, uh, technology is appropriate in early childhood classroom in, in these specific ways. And so I think that this has kind of um, helped us to um, really think about that and think about what, what are those ways where we can really utilize those applications um, to increase student engagement um, versus, you know, a worksheet on a screen. Thank you. Uh, Jessica, were you going to? Yeah, I think, you know, that's a, it's a, you know, you ask a really interesting, interesting question, right? Because we're always saying we need a change in education, a change in the way that we do things. And I mean, if there's a silver lining in COVID, it's that it is providing that impetus for change. I mean, one, I think students and teachers will be so grateful, right, to return to normalcy um, and be able to be in a classroom without a mask, be face-to-face that um, though I think there'll be one, a greater appreciation for what it's like to go to school and just have a normal routine, which might um, just generate a kind of energy that we that we don't have because you'll be doing something novel again. But also thinking about all the, the skills that students and teachers and parents are learning right now, right? Because of the transition that we've had to make to online learning. Um, students really having to learn how to be more self-directed um, and manage their own time and organize their own work in, in a digital format and keep track of things without really heavy teacher monitoring and in many cases without a lot of heavy parental monitoring too. That self-monitoring, self-regulation, organization is so important. And then students also and teachers too have to learn to be really clear around communication, around structures, around what it looks like to work in groups because you don't have the eye on the classroom the whole time, right? And, and so those things too, just giving students that sense of agency and independence and trust um, that they're getting with an online environment, you'll see that transfer over into the classroom that there's no longer, you know, a concern about putting students in groups because you don't know how they'll manage themselves because they're doing it now and they're having to manage themselves or the all of the, the systems and procedures that go with showing students all of the digital tools that are available to them. This is how we take care of the devices we have in the classroom. That's become very routinized, right, um, in our current situation. And so I think it will streamline a lot of daily tasks and activities that we do now, but it's also really put learning into the hands of students where they'll be better able to regulate, advocate, work together, and manage themselves um, and, and I think that'll make a real change in what face-to-face instruction looks like in the future. Yeah, for sure. It's it's such an exciting time. We can finally move away from the factory model that how many, how many years have we done this and everyone said we need to make this change. And so I'm very excited about the possibilities of, of what that can look like in the, in the future. Um, and I'm, I'm curious about this as well. Um, you guys have mentioned teams and all of the work that's being done. And so I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that your coaches are very much involved in all of this support work. Um, 
and if you guys can kind of share the instructional coach's role has shifted at least temporarily. Um, I don't know how long temporarily, but what what are the what are the coaches, the central office coaches being used? How can they help support teachers? What does that look like given our distance environment right now and everything else on everyone's plates? One thing that has changed um, is they, I mean, they've been creating curriculum. So that's taken up a lot of their time, the blend courses. But with that, they still are supporting teachers. The teachers will reach out to them. Um, one thing that really excited them, and Jessica talked about it earlier, but the, the PLCs, but also the opportunity to bring a lot of teachers together in one space and not have to worry about driving to a location. It was really hard sometimes for teachers to get to a face-to-face training. And our coaches are really excited about offering trainings through Zoom now. And although it's not the same, there's still things they can they can leverage from that and also reach a lot more teachers and help build that capacity with our educators. So that's something that's shifting right now, but they're really excited about that opportunity to reach more educators. And also along with that, I assume it's important to reiterate that that the coaches are, are available to help support teachers and campuses in whatever way possible, right? That they're still, you can still contact them through our, our website and get their email information. A lot of them, um, you know, their their phones forward to people who are here at central office if you make a, a if you want to make an in-district phone call. But they are available, right, to work with PLCs to do observation of an online classroom, um, to help teachers customize blend modules, to help problem solve around um, textbook issues, all of those things. They are available. And, and they're especially too interested in, in getting feedback from teachers around how are the blueprints going? How is digital instruction going? What is it that you need help with that they can serve and support? Um, so they're even though they're spending a lot of time on blueprint modules right now and supporting teachers with that instruction piece, they are available and, and ready and willing um, to coach and support campuses and whatever capacity is needed. Yeah, and yes, I would agree with um, both of what Jessica and Danielle said um, from the early childhood, uh, you know, coaches team. Um, and I know that we've had lots of discussions around the three PLCs and, and how we can utilize that. And in our discussions about professional learning, because that's, that's one of the functions that, um, you know, our coaches support for for the early childhood grades is also thinking about mindfully thinking about all the learning that teachers have done in this last you know few months um, to prepare for remote instruction and blended learning, and then um, you know just really supporting that kind of next progression in that specific learning versus adding on um, you know new um, new any new professional learning. We really want to support teachers in in implementing what they've learned so far because we know we're all under sort of this um, large learning curve. I guess is what I would say, or I've been saying cognitive dissonance, you know, about how we're shifting and we need time to kind of process through that. So we're really excited about being able to do that support and and help support teachers with either PLCs or office hours um, where teachers can come and and get supports um, because our coaches really want, um, you know, all of the work that they're doing. And and I think across all the teams is, is, you know, we want to support student learning and support teachers as best that we can. And so that's on their minds um, a lot recently. Well, this has been fascinating. I feel like professional work, professional learning works very closely with you. And I still learn things as we engage in conversations about everything that you do. So we're going to do a little separate segment. If you've heard our podcast, you know about this. If you haven't, surprise, these questions, don't think about them. I just want you to respond with the first question that pops into your head. And just because in the order of my screen, we'll do Amy first and then Danielle and then Jessica. So first question, Amy, 
me. What do you want to do when we know it's 100% safe from COVID? No masks, no nothing. We know it's safe. What's the first thing that you're looking forward to doing? Uh, the first thing I'm looking forward to doing is visiting a classroom with children um, and seeing uh, seeing those connect those personal connections that um, students and teachers make and being able to be part of that. Awesome. Thank you. Danielle. Amy, that was wonderful. Um, no, I think, <laughs> I mean, I want to just be able to visit class, same thing, visit classrooms and not have to worry about, you know, be able to get manipulatives just off the shelf and give them to kids. Because right now we're trying to figure out how do we safely let kids use manipulatives even when they are back in the classroom. So just those things we take for granted and not have to worry about any of that. Cool. And Jessica. Um, being able to just be, um, you know, in person with teachers in classrooms, working with students again, just to have that that face to face connection and be able to to have conversations with students about what are you learning and how do you know that you're learning it. Um, but then also be able just to talk with teachers to see um, what they're doing that's really successful in their classroom and what they want to share with others. So sweet, Matt. That reminds me, we had Mary Tiharina on. In season one, do you remember her answer to that question? I don't remember, but I, it's, I'm sure you'll. <laughs> it sticks with me. She's like, I want to hug my kids. That's right. And she started right. to tear up a little bit. And it was just like, <sighs> okay. The other second question that we'll do, the final one that we'll do, favorite Austin restaurant. You got to pick one, please. I'm creating a list. Yeah. I'm going to say Elizabeth Street. What's that, Amy? Elizabeth Street. Elizabeth Street. Okay. I don't know that I've heard of that. I'll have to check that one out. Danielle? Mine is Home Slice because it's as close to New York style pizza as I can get. And I'm from New York. So I go there when I can. <laughs> awesome. Just- it's too many choices, right? It's it's hard to pick. Um, Pine House Pizza is great. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think I like everything. Awesome. Well, thank you all so much for being here with us today. We really do appreciate it. And this is always exciting and fun to be able to sit down and record these podcasts. And so uh, to kind of close out our episode for today, um, and we can go back around in the same order. Um, but what I want you or what I want to invite you to do is just um, share some some personal thoughts or, you know, just anything that you want for inspiration as we continue this new school year. Um, it can be something that you want to share directed towards teachers or students or parents or all of the above. But um, if you would just um, please share some inspirational words. So I'm going to go ahead and start with Amy. Yeah. So in the last early childhood newsletter, I put um, a quote from Brene Brown about vulnerability. And uh, the quote was, um, I, you know, as I was trying to think about what I wanted to say to the teachers, I just feel like, you know, I've had so many moments of vulnerability during this, this COVID-19 more so than ever in my educational career in terms of feeling like I didn't know how to do something, or I don't know how I'm going to get it done, or just, you know, so many balls in the air that, you know, there's, you know, sometimes you can juggle all of them. And during this time, you know, there's been times when I haven't been able to juggle all of them. And so I have felt that vulnerability, but the quote talks about how it's, um, you know, kind of the uh, birthplace of creativity and innovation. And I really strongly now believe in the, (laughs) the words in that quote, because I feel like all the vulnerability that we have had as a district, as departments, as teachers, as educators and learners has really brought us to where we can come on this podcast and say, we have these amazing blueprint courses for teachers to use. Um, And so 
that's kind of my my mantra right now is yes, we've been vulnerable. We felt scared. We felt alone. We felt, you know, like we can't do it. But in the end, together, we can do it and we have done it and we will keep doing it. Thank you so much for sharing that, Amy. Appreciate it. Uh, Danielle? So I'm just amazed at the work that our teams have done as well as teachers. I mean, anytime something comes up or a question or what about this, everyone steps up, whether it's someone on our team or teachers. And just when we met in the PLCs, just to hear all the amazing things that teachers have done, it's just really, everyone has just embraced this change. It might not be easy, but everyone is embracing it and doing what they know is best for kids. And that's really why we're all here to make sure our students are successful. So it's been great to to see that. Thank you so much, Danielle. Appreciate that. And Jessica. Two things kind of come to mind, right? One is is that that saying of just keep swimming, right? Um, and and yeah, like Danielle and like Amy, so everybody, right, is working really hard under very difficult circumstances. Our district staff, our students, our parents, and and I mean, I was thinking this morning about how how many months I've been working from home, and and now I'm back working in the office. And at the time, it seemed like a really long time to be working at home, but now that I'm coming back into the office, it's like maybe I really haven't been away that long. Um, so this idea that like this will we'll get through this, right? We've gotten this far. We'll keep getting through it. We just have to keep swimming and keep going, and and know that we have people to support us when we get tired. And then um, also the idea of what we're looking for every day is just progress and not perfection. Um, and and every day we're making progress, and it's not perfect. But even if we weren't in a distance learning environment in a global pandemic, it it still wouldn't be perfect. Um, so let's think about what progress we can make for ourselves, for our students, for our families, and that'll get us where we need to be at the end of the day. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Please be sure to subscribe. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. These podcasts are produced by the Professional Learning Department of the Austin Independent School District. Follow us on Twitter at AustinISDPL. Until next time, stay safe, my friends.